The book of Hosea, why don't you turn there with me? Hosea chapter one. We cracked open the door of hope on Sunday and Saturday at our last services uh, and didn't really dive into the book of Hosea really, just um, kind of that, that valley of Achor, which would turn into from the valley of trouble to the valley of hope. And that's really kind of an overarching theme that we get to enjoy here in the book of Hosea. It's gonna be a, a real blessing, I think, the book of Hosea. Um, it is a book of prophecy, but it's also this powerful story. Um, and uh, we're gonna kind of see how that works. Beginning with Hosea and concluding with Malachi, um, we're beginning sort of these 12 short prophecies and they're designated as the minor prophets. And, and we left the last major prophet with Daniel. And, and um, I, I personally have just a little, it's not a big deal, but I kind of think that that's a, a disservice to uh, these prophets uh, because we Americans, we think major league and minor league. And so Daniel's majors, Hosea is a minor leaguer. Uh, that's kind of the way we, we do that. But that was a man-made, not a God-made delineation really of the minor prophets as we call them. Um, you might say, well, why are they called minor? Some people say, well, because they're smaller in size. Um, and that's generally true, but not always true. Hosea is actually longer than the book of Daniel, as it turns out. So how does that work out? Um, so uh, we, can, we can make some interesting arguments, but I would just say that um, all of these books are anointed by God and uh, I'm gonna call them all majors. Uh, and, and the minor prophets are called because of the size, but, but, um, but actually each of them batted in the major leagues and was a real star. Uh, when you read these books, you're gonna see what I mean. So uh, I'd like to kind of dive in and, and start with a, a little bit of an introduction. First, let's talk about Hosea, the prophet himself. Number one, Hosea, the prophet. Um, his name, it means deliverance or salvation. Uh, and we're gonna see how that really plays out. Uh, and we're gonna find out, there's a couple things about this book that you really need to be sort of aware of. One is the names hold great meaning. All the names that we are uh, giving, uh, given by the Lord, it's true really often in the whole Bible, but particularly in the book of Hosea, God's gonna use the names to be part of the, the storytelling. And uh, you gotta be aware of that. Knowing the meanings of the names and kind of becoming more familiar with them will help you in your understanding. Another thing that Hosea uses perhaps as much or more than any other Bible author is puns and um, assonance and, um, and uh, sort of a play on words. He, he, he does all kinds of plays on words. You think, Brett, why this book about Hosea marrying a prostitute? How could that be so fun? You know, using puns and, and happy things. And it's actually a book really this joyful. It's meant to be, I think, read as a joyful book. It, it does start out a little heavy, but it's gonna um, glow at the end with great joy. Um, but I'll try to show you where there are plays on words. And a lot of times you'd have to read it in the Hebrew text to kind of see where those are, um, but we'll do that uh, as we go along. But Hosea has uh, some prophecy, but, but really uses illustration to teach. Uh, he's gonna, uh, you know, he's not just presenting a point, he is the point, <laughs> Hosea himself. You know, he's not just gonna give a message, he is the message, he's gonna be sort of a, a living message. Uh, does anybody like limericks? <laughs> One person, I like limericks too. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I've got a limerick for Jezebel. I won't give you that one, but. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay, Jezebel, uh, the queen was a hog. She lived in a morality fog. When fr thrown from a tower, uh, oh no, when thrown from the tower, he came to devour and made a nice meal for a dog. <laughs> it's a great limerick. 
Bible limericks. Um, there's one about Hosea. When Hosea took Gomer as wife, he knew there'd be trouble and strife. When, uh, then when she strayed, faithful he stayed, modeling God's grace for his life, uh, with his life. That's, that's a good one, I like that limerick. And that's really kind of a summary of what, what Hosea's gonna do. He's gonna be the faithful representation of God and Gomer, uh, she's gonna be the representation of Israel and ultimately even us, I think, in many ways. So Hosea the prophet, he's quite a guy and we're gonna see and learn much about him. Uh, but that you also need to understand the people of the time. Um, Hosea was the prophet uh, of a group of people, the, the children of Israel, the Northern 10 tribes, if you remember this. Um, the people, well, they were uh, doing really well at this time, largely, mostly during Hosea's prophecy. People were just really thriving. And, and the problem with prosperity is it often leads to preoccupation. We become preoccupied with stuff we shouldn't be preoccupied with, sinful stuff. We get engaged, when, when things are really doing well, that's when we often have to be on our guard. Well, the people of Israel and the Northern 10 tribes, they're living large, living in prosperity, and now they become preoccupied with, well, preoccupation. First it starts with prosperity, then preoccupation, then it leads to perversion. And that's where the children of Israel really found themselves prosperous, preoccupied with themselves and with other things other than God uh, and specifically idolatry. They became preoccupied with idolatry and then became perverted and really grotesque. Their culture had reached a horribly wicked uh, sort of era in the Northern 10 tribes. And this will prove to be the last time these people would be gathered as a group in, in history until 1948. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, but one of the things you need to understand is um, the, 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 the books of the Bible are not written or put in place chronologically as far as time goes. Um, so you kind of have to figure out where does Hosea fit into the, the picture? Um, well, somewhere before Jeremiah, <laughs> uh, the prophet, if you remember Jeremiah, he was the prophet speaking when the southern two tribes, we called that Judah. Remember back after Solomon, there was Jeroboam and Rehoboam and the, the kingdom split. Israel, the whole kingdom split into two. The northern 10 tribes, we call that Ephraim or Israel. Um, and the southern two tribes, we called Judah. And um, you know, um, all of the kings in the northern tribe in their whole history from the time the, 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 the nation broke into two, all of the kings of the north were wicked and evil. Um, some of the kings, about half of the kings in the south, two tribes were good. If you remember kings like, you know, uh, Josiah and Hezekiah and some of those guys, they were good guys. But, but, um, but the northern tribes, like Hosea was in a, in a kingdom that was just full of wicked uh, kings and idolatry was alive and well there in that northern kingdom. And we'll see that. Um, but the people were engaged in all kinds of uh, sick sexual practices because of the way they worship some of these gods and goddesses. And um, Hosea is the prophet during that time when those people were just really perverted. So you got Hosea the prophet, um, you got Hosea the people uh, of the time. But what was the time period? Literally, um, Hosea was a contemporary of Amos, who was another prophet in the Northern 10 tribes. Only, um, uh, uh, you know, the other prophets that were also contemporaries were Micah and Isaiah. They all lived at the same time. Amos, Hosea, Micah, and Isaiah. Micah and Isaiah were prophets in the South, two tribes. Uh, Hosea and Amos were prophets in the Northern two tribes. Uh, if you had to say who had the harder job, you might say uh, Hosea and Amos because of the godlessness. I mean, it was worse in the North. And that's why the Northern 10 tribes, they'd be hauled off earlier 
than the two tribes, the southern tribes of Judah. Does anyone remember who were the ones who hauled off the 10 northern tribes? Anybody? The Assyrians. Remember the people ended up with hooks in their noses uh, and uh, being drawn off and they became a, um, a captivity people brought up to Assyria where they would be eventually assimilated into the culture, never to be heard from really again until um, maybe much, much later. Um, we'll talk about that. Now, some people, by the way, like to say the lost tribes of Israel because that's where they were lost. But that's not exactly true because during the Northern 10 tribes when they were becoming more and more wicked, some of those people of all those tribes said, we're not gonna stay here. And they moved back down to Judah and hung out with the, the tribe you know, of Judah and the others who, who uh, so, so we never really lost the tribes. When you read an article or a paper or a book that says, you know, we're the lost tribe of Israel, like the Jehovah's Witness, um, you know, or, or, or whatever, you gotta understand there are no lost tribes. God knows exactly where they are. Um, we don't have to worry about that. Um, and there, there were many people from ver all the tribes that re-migrated back down to the south during the debauchery of the 10 Northern tribes. But that's when Amos and Hosea were prophesying there. His ministry extended for over a half century and he lived to see the fulfillment of his prophecy as far as the captivity of Israel. Um, and if you're interested in dates, he started his ministry right around 775, or 753 BC. 753 BC and his ministry lasted uh, for 60 years. Um, as it turns out, um, uh, you know, that, that's one of the longest of the prophets. Uh, and if you wanna read about Hosea's time period, you read Second Chronicles chapters 26 through 32, and that kind of tells you what was going on uh, during the days of Hosea and what have you. So, um, so basically, chronologically, you'd put the prophet of Hosea somewhere before the book of Jeremiah. By the way, if you're a Bible student and you're always looking for books that are worth having, I love uh, uh, the various chronological Bibles you can purchase. Um, you have to understand the organization of the books, um, you know, is, is, is done for a certain reason. And you can kind of talk about that. But I also love when they take a Bible and they, they lay it out chronologically. Um, if you have the NIV or the King James, they make the Reese chronological Bible and it looks like a Bible, but it's, it's just, they put the story. So like when you're uh, reading first and second Samuel, you'll have some of the Psalms interspersed with where David was and what he was doing when he wrote those Psalms. Like there's some really cool things about a chronological Bible that you'll find helpful. Uh, if you wanna look for a good uh, resource, a good old chronological Bible is helpful. So that's the deal. Hosea was, would, would have been before Jeremiah the prophet um, and his prophecies would have been interspersed in Second Chronicles 26 through 32. Um, the Syrians, uh, you know, Tiglath-Pileser, if you remember him, he was in, uh, you know, basically 745 BC to 727 BC. Uh, and he's the one who really made, uh, you know, Assyria this powerhouse that would threaten both the North and the South. And if you recall, the North, they basically, in 733, they turned into this sort of puppet state of the Assyrian, or the Syrian Empire. Um, but um, in 722, um, that's when the children of the Northern 10 tribes rebelled um, against, um, you know, revolted against the, the Assyrian Empire. And that's when they would be dragged off. 722 is kind of a key date for the Northern tribes. Kind of like 586 is a key date for the Southern tribes, they were dragged off finally in the third wave by Nebuchadnezzar in, in uh, 586. 
But the Northern tribes, they were dragged off in 722, so a long time earlier. Um, so that's the days of Hosea. Number, number uh, uh, four, Hosea, the purpose. What's the purpose uh, of this book? Well, the prophecy will tell the people about their sin and the suffering that comes from their sin. And um, it'll also give the, the prophecy of the salvation from their sin. Um, by the way, that's the pattern for sin every single time. Sin, suffering, and salvation. That's what the Lord does. We sin, we suffer because of our sin. And the Lord says, but I love you and I wanna save you. Um, and by the way, this would be the same theme of Amos, Isaiah, and Micah. They all had kind of the same theme. All the contemporaries of Hosea, they had the same theme, only they didn't do the same thing that Hosea did, marrying a prostitute and all. Um, but, uh, but, but all that to say, Deuteronomy chapter 30 um, reminds me really of, of what the Lord really has for Israel. And, and Hosea sort of, uh, there's people, scholars that say Deuteronomy is sort of a picture of the book of Hosea and Hosea, a picture of Deuteronomy. And if you know Deuteronomy, you're like, man, that, that's a long book. And how does Hosea match up with that? You can see it when you read Deuteronomy chapter 30. In fact, if you want, uh, why don't you keep your finger here in Hosea? I know we haven't even read a verse yet, but um, <laughs> turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30 and I'll show you uh, why people correlate um, Hosea to this passage. We'll just read Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30, verses one through 10. It says there in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses one through 10, and it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse, which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shall return to the Lord thy God, and obey his voice according to all I command thee this day, thou and thy children with all thine heart and with all thine soul, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee, and will return and gather thee from all the nations whither the Lord hath, uh, thy God hath scattered thee. Now pause, this is talking about the diaspora, when the Jews would be scattered. And Hosea is gonna talk about that too. In fact, one of the names of the son of, of Hosea, the, the names are important, and one of the names is gonna mean scattering, the scattering. It's all part of this picture. By the way, before Deuteronomy chapter 30, the Lord gave many conditional covenants with the Jews. And what I mean by that is uh, they were if-then statements. If you do this, then that's gonna happen. Uh, good or bad or ugly. Uh, if you worship the Lord, then I'll bless you and put my protection around you. But if you worship idols, then I will turn my face from you and uh, let you be delivered to the enemies. Like there's a lot of if-then conditional uh, covenants made by God in the book of Deuteronomy. But in chapter 30, he's basically gonna say, but once you turn from your sin, then my unconditional covenant's gonna kick into gear. That's kind of what he's talking about. And this is what we talk about when we say God's grace, where we get what we don't deserve. God's gonna do that with the Jews too. Churches today that say God is done with Israel, they do not get this. When they say God is done with the Jews and the church has replaced Israel, they're forgetting all the things the Bible says about even when Israel's rebelled, even when they've turned against me, I'm gonna, there's gonna come a day where I will unconditionally love them and receive them back. It's one of the biggest, I think, theological mistakes uh, modern churches, many of them are making today when they just totally dismiss Israel as God's chosen people and say that the church has replaced Israel. Again, it's called replacement theology. But as we go on, in verse four of chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, it says, 
if any of thine be driven out of the outer, uh, outmost parts of heaven from thence, will the Lord thy God gather thee and from thence will he fetch thee? And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed and thou shalt possess it. And he will do thee good and multiply thee above thy fathers. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul that thou may live. And the Lord thy God will put all of these curses upon thine enemies and on them that hate thee, which persecuted thee. And thou will return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments, which I command thee this day. And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thine hand, in the fruit of thy body and in the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over thee for good as he rejoiced over thy fathers. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments, statutes, which are written in his book of the law. And if thou turn to the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul. This is a, a beautiful reminder of the Lord. He's gonna scatter the people, but he's gonna draw them. And you and I are privileged people. We get to see, we're living in a day where we're seeing before they even repent, before all this comes to fullness, we're seeing the Lord, you know, the Valley of Dry Bones, remember the, the gathering of the people together. There's not life in them yet. The Jews still are largely lost, but God is gathering them. Just like it says, they're in the land. And even, you know, what's amazing is, um, Verse nine, where it says, they'll become plenteous in every work of thy hand, the fruit of thy body, the fruit of thy cattle, the fruit of thy land, that's happening right now. Israel's being blessed uh, in so many ways with fruit and with science and medicine and all this stuff. Uh, the, the Jews are way past all the other countries uh, in so many ways. It's, it's just the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Um, so all that to say, this, this is really the ultimate end um, when is this all gonna come to its fullness when the Jews are gonna be blessed? Um, it's during the tribulation period when they realize that you know, the abomination of desolation happened and then the Jews will flee to Petra and Christ will return at the three and a half years after the abomination. We've talked about this, the abomination of desolation, then Christ will rule and reign. And that's when the Jews are gonna see the fullness of Deuteronomy 30. But also Hosea is gonna talk about that as well. When, when Christ returns and rules and reigns, Hosea the prophet's gonna uh, deal with that time and talk, we'll even perhaps get into some of that uh, this evening. So back to Hosea. Um, so we've got, you know, Hosea, uh, the, the purpose is to remind people of their sin, but also their coming salvation. And we're seeing the regathering um, and all that. Um, so back to, uh, you know, Hosea, we, we, we now come to the, sort of the beginning. Let's read verse one. It says in Hosea chapter one, verse one, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Biri in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now you might say, Wow, that's a lot of kings. Well, you gotta remember, there was really actually only one king during the time when he was in the Northern Kingdom. And that's the last king that was mentioned there in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Um, the other four kings, by the way, uh, were kings of Judah. Um, and he mentions the kings of, of, of Judah. And then he mentions the final king, which is the king of Israel, because um, they were all contemporaries of Hosea. Um, so he mentions them all uh, just for a point of reference. Uh, 
Well, then it says in verse two, uh, by the way, the name Beery, you should know, means uh, man of a well, man of a well. Um, uh, it's, it's a little bit uh, uh, like a, a name of refreshment. That, that it's like where you get re- refreshed, where you go get water. A well in Bible times was a place of refreshment. If you're hiking through the desert or walking on a long journey, uh, you'd be really glad when you came to a well because uh, there'd be water there. So that's uh, Hosea's dad. I, I already told you what Hosea's name means. It means uh, uh, deliverance or uh, salvation. Keep that tucked away. Verse two. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and the Lord said unto Hosea, go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. What an amazing call of God. Do you ever wonder if Hosea, you know, uh, the Lord says, hey, Hosea, I got something for you to do. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? Uh, do you want me to be like Isaiah and like starts taking off his clothes? Lord, is that what you want me to do? Uh, walk around naked for a year? Nope, nope, not. Keep your clothes on, Hosea. Do you want me to chop off my hair? Nope, 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 nope. Remember, uh, yeah, Jeremiah chopped off his hair. Uh, do you want me to cut a hole in my house? Nope, nope, no. slow down, Hosea. No, no. What I want you to do is go find, go find a, a harlot and marry her. Gulp. Um, can you imagine these prophets of the day and their, their tasks that they had to do? But Hosea was called to go downtown and find a, now, now there's all kinds of, you'll read all kinds of interesting theories about this. Um, and by the way, one of my favorite old uh, reference Bibles is the old Schofield reference Bible. If you have a new Schofield reference, it's cool, but not that cool. The old Schofield reference is really cool. And I'll tell you why. The old Schofield notes are really awesome. Um, and I, I, I use that a lot, by the way. If you have an old Schofield reference, you might find some of the things I'm teaching uh, sort of match up with some of the things the old Schofield uh, talks about. How many of you guys have an old Schofield? Raise your hand right now. Yeah, see, you guys are the anointed bunch. Except for tonight. <laughs> uh, Schofield tried, I think in his notes, if you have the old Schofield, the new one took this part out, but um, he makes the, I, I believe he makes the argument, if I remember right, that um, basically um, Hosea, God never really told Hosea to marry a prostitute. That it was basically um, Hosea really loved this prostitute and wanted to marry her. And so God just said, okay, okay, you can marry her. But um, I don't really see that. I've, I've searched kind of the original language of this text. And uh, I think that, you know, old Schofield was trying to say, God would never tell somebody to do something like that. Um, but as it turns out, God did. And some people have a problem with that. You gotta remember, God can do whatever he wants. Don't forget that. We don't need to try to soften what God does. When God does something, we just kind of need to say, wow, God did that. Hmm and be good with it. Say, Lord, you know what's best, <laughs> you know? And uh, as it turns out, I think God knew that Hosea needed to marry Gomer, this prostitute. Um, but anyway, that's just one of the things you'll see is kind of a debate. Could God tell you know, Hosea to do something that almost seems sinful to marry a prostitute? But I don't really see it that way. I, I, I see it as God saying, I'm about to paint a picture of what I have done for Israel, uh, that I have in a sense married the prostitute. Um, and it's gonna be a powerful picture at that. Um, now, back to this section, let's, let's talk about, um, um, you know, verse three. It says in verse three, um, it says, so he went and took Gomer. Uh, that's, that's another thing that kind of cracks me up. So you, not only you're marrying a prostitute, her name is Gomer. It's like, wow, golly, you know, it's like, it's like, 
<laughs> yeah, this is great. Uh, now, what does gomer mean? If you'll mark the word gomer or write it down in your notes, um, gomer is an interesting word. It means complete um, or consumer. Um, now, some of you are thinking, shop to you drop, man. Gomer must have been a shopper. She was a consumer. But um, the, 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 if you really do a word study on gomer, it means that she completely consumes. That's, that's more the, the definition, a consumer that just kind of, you know, chews you up, spits you out. She, she kind of wears you out. Um, do you know people like this? That they, they only like to take and they'll be your friend or hang out with you as long as you've got something for them. And they sort of consume, but they, they, the idea of consume becomes kind of destroy. Um, and that's what Gomer is. She's a complete consumer or she consumes completely. Um, and we're gonna see that her name is gonna fit um, the situation here with poor Hosea. Um, and by the way, um, you know, Gomer, you know, this prostitute, it, one of the images God uses all throughout the Old Testament of the children of Israel's unfaithfulness to sexual immorality. And it's an interesting thing when God shows this, um, you know, we, we all kind of think, man, why all the sexual references? Um, you know, God wants this pure relationship between Israel and himself. Remember, Israel is the wife of God, you know, the church, we're the bride of Christ, but there needs to be sort of this purity. Um, and, and whenever there's sexual immorality, the Lord uses that as sort of a picture of what the people are doing against the Lord. And, and by the way, uh, sexual immorality consumes you completely. I hope you know that. Some of you had to learn that the hard way. And it's really a sad, sad thing, but what sexual immorality, remember immorality sexually is called fornication in the Bible. The word fornication in the Greek New Testament, porneia, Greek word, um, it's the same thing. It consumes you, it messes you up. You know, we were meant by God to uh, have, a, you know, uh, one man, one wife, and they were supposed to be married, um, you know, for their whole life and not have any other. That's the way God uh, meant it to be in sexual relationship inside that marriage. Man, the bed, marriage bed is undefiled, the Bible says. But anything that's sexual outside of that marriage bed is what we call porneia or fornication. Um, and people, you know, talk about, well, is, you know, uh, is it really sex if you're just, uh, you know, not having intercourse? Um, listen, uh, Bill Clinton, stop for a second. Uh, doesn't defend on what the definition of is is. Uh, do you remember that? Some of you are old enough to remember that. Um, and, and it was shocking. If the president of the United States doesn't even know what sex is, uh, we're in trouble. But um, as it turns out, anything that's sexual in nature outside, not just intercourse, but anything that's sexual in nature outside of marriage is what the Bible calls fornication. And I, I think that's an important thing to know as people sort of make those waters more and more murky. Uh, today, people kind of try to you know, say, that's not that bad, you know, just messing around or anything like that. Uh, the Bible says no. Um, and by the way, that's the attitude of the world today with sexual sin. It's no big deal. But even as Gomer, who's kind of this amazing picture of sexual promiscuity and unfaithfulness and all this, um, you know, she's going to be sort of this picture of what that adulterous relationship does. She's going to consume completely consume poor, you know, Hosea and the family and all the people, it's gonna be a real bummer. Um, and I hope you understand that, you know, one of the things that we need to think about as Christians is why does God tell us to abstain from sexual immorality outside of marriage? Um, it's not because he doesn't want us to have fun. Um, it's because he doesn't want us to destroy our soul. 
What do you mean? Well, the consuming of your soul is part of the deal. Let me remind you of just a single verse in Proverbs chapter six, verse three. It says this, but whoso committeth adultery with a woman lacketh understanding, he that doeth it destroyeth his own soul. Your soul is your psyche, your mind, your emotions. There's a, a part of you that is destroyed when you are committing adultery. Uh, and man, Jesus even up the stakes, didn't he? When he said there in the Sermon on the Mount, if you even look upon a woman with less in your heart, you're just, you know, you're, you're, you're guilty of adultery. So man, there's this destruction of the soul. And we wonder why men today are so lacking. Uh, where are all the, the men that are you know, standing up and godly? Um, we, we, we feel a little bit of a glut of uh, lack, you know, lacking just solid dudes. Um, I believe that uh, Satan's having a field day with this one. Men are destroying their souls. And that's why on Ironworks this Saturday, we're gonna talk about uh, pornography part two because it's, it's a real problem. Something we have to be seriously dealing with. Um, but that's the idea behind Gomer and her name meaning you know, complete uh, consumer, uh, consuming completely is the idea that, of that. So, um, so here the Lord is just basically saying all of Israel, north and south has committed whoredom, uh, prostitution against the Lord. And that's kind of the theme as we kind of get out of the gate here. So, um, so then we go on uh, and it says, so you got Gomer, uh, she took Gomer and uh, she was the daughter of um, and depends on if you want to say this like a Jew in Israel, divleim uh, or divlaim is how they would actually say it in Hebrew today, divlaim. Uh, we say diblaim. <laughs> but uh, but uh, either way, what is his name? It means two cakes. Oh, wow, we got Martha Stewart here. Uh, great, two cakes, uh, which conceived and bare him a son. Um, now, here's the thing. She, you know, the daughter of, uh, of diblaim is Gober. Why would it be two cakes? As it turns out, that's a pagan name. Um, Divlaim is a pagan name because they would offer two cakes to Baal. That was what they'd bring to sacrifice to Baal. So it kind of gives you a little sense of where Gomer comes from. She comes from a father who's a Baal worshiping uh, pagan, if you would, just so you know that. Well, verse four, it says, and the Lord said unto him, call his name Jezreel. So that's the son that you know she's bearing to Hosea. His name shall be called Jezreel for yet a little while and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. Um, and it shall come to pass at that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Now, not to be too fancy schmancy with the pronoun uh, you know, pronouncing these Hebrew words, but you, you, this is something you need to know. Again, this has to do with the play on words, but Jezreel, we say Jezreel, but uh, how would you say it uh, in Israel, even to this day, you'd say Israel. Does that sound like another word? Uh, it sounds like Israel. It's almost the same. Um, and that's the point. Jezreel is sort of a perverted version of Israel. Do you understand that? That's kind of important to know. Uh, when you, you can even go, we take you, uh, we drive for a couple days in the Valley of Jezreel uh, when we go to Israel on our, on our tour. Um, and, and there's all kinds of battles and history and Bible stuff that happened in the Jezreel Valley. Um, but as it turns out, this, this son number one of Hosea and Gomer, and we believe, by the way, and this will be kind of important, we believe that it's literally Hosea's and Gomer's son, like it's truly their son. Uh, son number one, uh, Yisrael or Jezreel, um, son of Hosea and Gomer, um, and, and then used as part of an illustration. Uh, 
Um, suddenly we, we talk about Jehu. Jehu? Who? <clears throat> yeah, remember Jehu? Um, I already told you the Jez Jezebel limerick, remember? Because uh, she was thrown from the tower. Do you remember that story? That was Jehu. And how did they know it was Jehu driving up on his chariot? Even though he's like a mile away, they're looking and saying, hey, that's Jehu. How'd they know, anybody? Because he drove furiously, the Bible says. He was famous for just driving like a madman. Uh, some of you have that reputation too. <clears throat> Maybe I do too, I don't know. Um, but Jehu was a crazy driver. And they're like, oh, here comes Jehu. Yeah, we can see he's driving crazy. And then he comes in, remember the story? And he, and he says, who's on the Lord's side? And a couple eunuchs stick their head out the, the tower and say, we are. And then he said, we'll throw Jezebel out the window. Remember Jezebel poked her head out and with her fancy makeup and trying to, because she knew she was in big trouble with Jehu coming. And she's like, what's up? You know, what's going on? And, and they, they say, throw her out the window. Um, and uh, the dogs ate it up. He went and had some, he was hungry after that, I guess, and went and had some food, uh, Jehu did. But Jehu did a bunch of things. And, and you might say, what does this have to do, what does Jehu um, have to do with anything here? Well, this is where it helps to kind of know um, the story. Because if you can sort of see here, verses four, five, uh, verses four and five is basically telling us that the Northern 10 tribes are going to be taken away. We already know, we talked about that. The Assyrians are gonna take the Northern 10 tribes away. But this is actually telling us when, not the day nor the hour, but it is gonna tell us basically when it's gonna happen, uh, at least what generation. And I'll tell you why we know that. This is where he says, um, I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu. What does the house of Jehu have to do with it? Well, um, uh, if you're interested, jot down this in your notes. In 2 Kings chapter 10, there's a story of Jehu where he does something that's quite noble and good, um, but his motives are a little tweaked. What does he do? He says, hey, everybody, let's have a big party for Baal. Um, there in 2 Kings 10, starting in verse 19, everybody get your Baal gear and come, come down. Let's all get together and do a big Baal worship. And so everybody's like, Cool. So all the Baal worshiping people come together and he throws this big, huge Baal party. Um, and then it's almost like Jehu says, okay, now you guys just party it up. Uh, yeah, uh, bless Baal, awesome. And he basically closed the doors, locked them and then killed them all. He killed them all because uh, they were pagans and he was cleaning up Israel. And that was the end of Baal worship. <laughs> he, uh, he did a, a fine job cleaning because there was no one left alive who was worshiping Baal. They all came to the Baal party. Um, you say, well, great. But here's the interesting thing about um, Jehu. When Jehu came back, he, he, guess what he started doing? He started worshiping the golden calves there up in, in what we call today, Tel Dan. It's like he, he cleaned out Baal worship but he forgot to clean out all the others. And he actually became a, an idol worshiper himself. He actually, Jehu actually worshiped at a place we go. In fact, I brought some video last time Athe Creekers were there. This is, um, this is the ancient civilization. And it's one of the most amazing ruins at Tel Dan. Uh, it used to be called Laish. And uh, this is a bunch of us looking at an altar that was built to Baal. 
Um, and um, and this, these people were Baal worshipers. But also at this place, this is where Jeroboam set up the golden calf, if you remember the story, um, when people were kind of afraid uh, to um, sort of, you know, go down to Jerusalem. He didn't want everybody going to Jerusalem to worship God. So he said, hey, forget Jerusalem. We'll just worship God here with our little, you know, altar. And that's Baalstone, by the way. Those are Baalstones sitting there. I know it's hard to see. But you'd walk into the city gate. That's where one of the, the leaders would sit right there. You walk into the city gate and you come to this place where the actual altar sits. You'll see kind of an aluminum shape of an altar right there. See that aluminum altar? We're sitting on steps singing songs and I'm teaching there. But, but right behind me, that aluminum altar is where, right where the golden calf of Jeroboam sat. And um, I like telling the story of these people sitting on these steps. They're all enjoying this Bible story. Those are the very steps Jezebel walked up. We know, uh, like, like then they all kind of get up and go, ew. <laughs> yeah, Jezebel walked up these steps. We know that for sure. Um, there's very few places in the Bible you can say we know for sure. This is one of them uh, where Jezebel walked up these steps as she was a Baal worshiping, you know, evil sort of queen. But all that to say, um, it was right here where Jehu started worshiping the golden calf right after he slew all the prophets of Baal. Um, it'd be almost like your buddy, you know, wanting to help you get out of alcohol and you're down at the bar and so he comes to rescue you and he comes and, and pulls you out of the bar and takes you home and he thought, but boy, I saw some good drinks there. And so he goes back to the bar and starts swigging down the bruise and becoming a drunk himself. That's what Jehu does. By the way, these are bunkers from the Six, uh, the six Day War, uh, or actually, yeah, yeah, the Six Day War. And um, this is right on the border. This is right on the border of, um, of uh, Leban Lebanon. Uh, and those, that's a burnout Syrian tank from the uh, Six Day War. But f just kind of a fun place to visit, all kinds of fun stuff to see. But all that to say, this is where, this is that region um, just north of the Valley of Jezreel where Jehu was worshiping these idols. Now you say, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, as it turns out, um, let me read to you from uh, 2 Kings. It says here in 2 Kings 10, 29, you just jot this down. It says, how be it from the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from after them, uh, to wet the golden calves that were at Bethel and at Tel Dan. That means he kept worshiping there. So listen to this. This is uh, 2 Kings 10.30. The Lord said to Jehu, because you have done well in executing that which was right in mine eyes and have done unto the house of Ahab according to all that was in mine heart, thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel um, uh, but Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord, the God of his Israel with all of his heart, for he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. Huh, what? Basically the Lord says, I commend you Jehu because you, you wiped out Baal worship in Israel. Good for you. But you, because you didn't fully wipe out all the gods, you kept back, you kept back the gods of Jeroboam, the golden calf there that he had made it tell Dan. I'm only gonna bless your, your kingdom to the fourth generation. Now that's the key here. Jehu would only be blessed to the fourth generation. So going back to Hosea, we, we, we actually are learning when the Lord is gonna wipe out the Northern kingdom. Uh, it'd be unto the fourth generation of Jehu and that's the kingdom uh, during the time of Hosea the prophet. So that's why this is brought up, it's a reminder uh, there in verse four, uh, for yet a little while, avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel, verse four. 
Verse five, and it shall come to pass that that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. This is the Lord saying, I'm gonna do this like I told Jehu way back you know, in the Kings. Um, so I love how the Bible just continually fits together and all these stories sort of intertwine and God's got a narrative that's quite fascinating. Um, so Jehu and the prophets of Baal, uh, Jehu did, that wasn't right, except for the, the, the golden calves. Um, so the destruction of the Northern tribes by the Assyrians would take place after the fourth generation of Jehu. You guys with me on that? First Kings 10, 30. Well, uh, let's look at verse six. It says, and she conceived again. Now, one thing you need to understand when it says she conceived again, the problem is it's probably not Hosea's uh, you know, daughter. She just conceives again. The idea, she's already prostituting herself once again. She was married to, to Hosea. They did have their first son who, whose name you know, um, was Jezreel. Oh, I forgot to tell you, Jezreel means to scatter, to scatter. Um, and that's exactly what's gonna happen. The, 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 so, you know, Hosea is hearing this prophecy. He has this child. He says, okay, your name is to scatter, which is what God's gonna do um, uh, on the fourth generation of, of Jehu. The Northern 10 tribes would be scattered and they'll be scattered until 1948, by the way. The Northern 10 tribes would never regather in that region until 1948. That's kind of an interesting long scattering that we've seen, but we're seeing that change even today. So she, she conceives, you know, um, you know, Jezreel and bears that son to Hosea. But now we have another uh, conceiving of a baby, but this is probably not Hosea's and you'll see why. Verse six, she conceived again and bare a daughter and God said unto him, call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah and will save them by the Lord their God and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses or by horsemen. So the Southern tribes, I'm gonna protect them, not by bows and arrows. How did the Lord protect the Southern tribe? Anybody remember? The Southern tribes of Judah, how did God protect them from the Assyrians? A giant angel, remember that? The 185,000 people slain, that was the Rob Shaka, the trash talker, remember that whole thing? This is the Lord predicting that before it would happen, that I'm, I'm gonna save Judah, not with bows and arrows, but I'm gonna save them. Um, and he doesn't say how, but it's not gonna be your typical way. And he saved them with an angel who came and killed all the, the army of Rab Shaka, the trash talker, if you remember him. Um, now, um, he's basically saying, I'm gonna protect Judah, but this, this daughter of yours, uh, Lo Ruhama, uh, you could jot this down. What does lo ruhama mean? Well, lo means no uh, in the Hebrew. So no ruhama means mercy or pity. No mercy. Is that a problem when you get no mercy from God? <laughs> yeah, you kind of need that. Uh, like you need a head, uh, like, like you need to breathe. Uh, you gotta have God's mercy or you're toast. Um, and this name that God uses in this story is no mercy uh, or, or not having obtained mercy is another way of interpreting this, this name, Lo Ruhama, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel. This is where the Lord says, I'm lifting my mercy off of you. That's a bad day for, um, for those people. By the way, the, the, the story of this protecting of Judah is 2 Kings 19. Uh, you can read about that there. So not having obtained mercy. So, so far we have Jezreel, which means what? 
to scatter. And we have Lo Ruhama, what does her name mean? No mercy, right on, okay. Now we get to the next one, uh, the next son, son number two, child number three, verse eight. Now, when she had weaned Lo Ruhama, she conceived and bare a son. And then said God, call his name Lo Ami, uh, for you are not my people and I will not be your God. Oh, that sounds pretty brutal, doesn't it? You're not my people. And uh, now you say, well, was God rejecting the Jews? It sounds like he's rejecting the Jews. No, you gotta understand what's happening here. The Jews are rejecting God. The Jews have rejected God and they're saying, we will not have you be our God. We're gonna have Baal and all these other gods and goddesses. They rejected God. So we got a pretty sad family naming situation here. We got uh, to scatter, we got having no mercy and Loami, it means not my people, uh, not my people. You'll see that there perhaps in your margin. Well, verse 16, it says yet, the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured in number. Now, now um, this is interesting because we're starting to sort of change gears here. What, what, did you notice something? Everything was kind of negative up to this point, but suddenly Israel being like the sand of the sea, that's going back to the Abrahamic covenant where God told Abraham, you'll be numbered like the sand of the sea. You see verses um, uh, you know, 10 uh, to the end of this chapter, um, is basically giving us four great promises of God, even though they're not my people, they're not gonna have mercy and they're gonna be scattered. This is the Lord saying, but I'm still good. And if you jot down, there's four things, four great promises of God here at the end that I think are noteworthy. Number one, number one, Israel will still continue to grow. Even though they're rebellious, Israel will still grow. And we see that in the first part of verse 10. Yet the number of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea and cannot be measured or numbered. Um, that's the first, first one. Number two, Israel will eventually turn back to God. This is a promise of God. Look at the second part of verse 10. It says there, um, um, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, you are not my people, there it shall be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. The very place where, where the, the Lord's saying, you are not my people, they're eventually gonna turn back to God and they'd be God's people again. This is where people miss that. Um, thirdly, promise in verse 11, we see that Israel will be regathered. Verse 11, then shall the children of Judah and the children of Israel be gathered together and appoint themselves one head. So they, they're gonna regather, and then finally, number four, Israel will see Jesus as the Messiah. That's the last part of verse 11. They'll be gathered together and appoint themselves one head. That's the Messiah. And they shall come up out of the land for great shall be the day uh, of, of Jezreel. Man, don't you love what we see here? These four things are the beautiful promises of God. And it's all in this one chapter. Like, like in the very first chapter, and this is by the way, typical Hebrew thought. We kind of are getting the whole story in a nutshell in chapter one, and then we're gonna kind of see the other things kind of go out uh, in sort of a circular spiral sort of way, the ways the Jews often think. Let's, let's sneak in, let's see how far chapter two we can get here tonight. Um, so he goes on and says, now, now see if you notice something here in verse one that's a little odd. It says in verse one, say ye to your brethren, Ami, and to your sister, Ruhamah. Uh, now, what's gonna happen? Say to your brother, uh, this is probably speaking of 
Jezreel speaking to Loami and Ruhamah. What, what's the difference on their names in chapter two? We, we, we removed the low part on both of those. There was low, uh, you know, Loami and uh, Lo Ruhamah. Um, why is the low there? Well, if you remove the, the low, which means no, suddenly you have mercy and you have God's people. Like this is a really good thing. This is a step in the right direction. And this is ultimately what God wants to do. He wants to change the names of these sons and daughters, uh, sons and daughter of, uh, of, of Hosea. And he starts right here in chapter one with this beautiful uh, changing of the names. I love that. The Lord drops the low in their names. Um, by the way, when you get to heaven, you're gonna be given a new name. I'm glad about that. And I hope we drop the no too. Uh, on our names. A lot of our names have no associated with it. The Lord's gonna give us a new name. So, you know, he says to uh, Ami and to his sister, uh, Ruhama, plead with your mother, plead, for she is not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day that she was born and make her as the, a wilderness and set her like a dry land and slay her with thirst. Now you might say, why would God do that to poor Gomer? The answer, verse four, and I will not have mercy upon her children for they be the children of whoredoms. For their mother played the harlot. She that conceived them hath done shamefully for she said, I will go after my lovers that give me my bread and my water my wool and my flax, mine oil and my drink. By the way, um, the bread and water is kind of your basic sustenance, but the wool and flax and all this other stuff is a luxury item. These are wealthy people's things in Bible times. So she's thinking she's getting ahead by prostituting herself. It's the same mistake we make, thinking that we can sort of get ahead by moving away from God and doing whatever is dishonest and sinful and wrong. But the Lord says, man, that's not the way you're gonna do it but she thinks she's doing it. So, so the kids are told, plead for your mother. Say, mom, come back to pop. Your, your husband's great. But, but she says, nope, I'm gonna only stay with all my lovers and what have you. This is kind of the situation. Now um, we have the three therefores uh, of chapter two. Um, you'll see three therefores, uh, chapter two, verse six uh, through eight is the first therefore. Therefore, Behold, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she shall not find her paths. And she shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. She shall seek them, but not find them. She shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. For she, should, uh, she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. The first therefore is I'm gonna put a hedge. Now this, this hedge thing always cracks me up. Um, remember Job prayed for a hedge of protection around his kids. Um, but a hedge in this case was not to keep the evil one out as much as it was to um, make it so, you know, Gomer doesn't go out and do a bunch of stuff. There's like thorny hedge around where she, hopefully the Lord's just saying, I'm not gonna let you get that far away. You're gonna get far away, but not that far away. I'm gonna put a hedge about her. That's the idea. Um, and you're gonna realize that your lovers are losers. And Hosea is the right one. Did you see what she said? This reminds me of the prodigal as he was sitting in the pig slop and thinking, man, 
I was better off with my dad. Even my dad's slaves are better than I am. Remember that whole thing with the prodigal? What does she say? She says at the end of verse seven, I will go and return to my first husband for then was it better with me than now. Have you ever noticed the sinner? And a lot of you parents have seen this heartbreakingly where your kids walk away from the Lord. That's a tough one. And I would give you moms and dads that have your kids who have walked away from the Lord and maybe you raised them as, as Christian kids to know the Lord, but they went off to school and met a bunch of other kids that really dragged them off into sinfulness and now they're doing their own thing. Don't forget, you know, train up a child of the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Sometimes our kids do go and, you know, try to, you know, sow their wild oats or do their own thing. But don't, don't give up mom and dad, keep your prayers on for your kids. Um, but one of the things you'll see with this is in, the, in that situation, and there's other situations too, but where they, they sort of realize, man, it was so much better when I was walking with the Lord. But the problem is a lot of people never really realize that. If they just thought about it before they were off doing the party scene and hanging out with all their friends and getting drunk every night and you know thinking it was wonderful and fun, but they find themselves living in filth and wondering why they're depressed and why they're not successful in what they want and hope to do. And, and, and they might just think, oh man, it was so good back in the days when I was actually walking with the Lord. That's the hope is that they'll come to a place where they'll realize what, what the Lord's saying about Gomer here, that she'll come to that realization, man, it was better with me then than it is now when I was with Hosea. So that's the first therefore, verses six through eight. The second therefore is verse nine through 13. Therefore, will I return and take away my corn from the, uh, in the time of, uh, thereof and my wine in the season thereof and will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. And now I will discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers and none shall deliver her out of mine hand. I will also cause all of her mirth to cease her feast days, her new moons and her Sabbaths, all and all her solemn feasts. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees thereof. Um, she hath said, these are my rewards that my lovers have given me. And I will make them a forest and the beasts of the field shall eat them. And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them and she decked herself with earrings and her jewels. And she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. Here we have this um, concept of the Lord saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow it to get worse for you so that it hopefully will get better for you. I'm gonna take away all the stuff you think you have with your lovers. I'm gonna make you miserable for the hope of saving you. In the book of um, you know, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians, we read about you know, the Corinthian church that was totally getting uh, into all kind of sinful stuff. And Paul has this one dude who's sitting in the church and he says, listen, you need to deliver that dude unto Satan. Huh? Deliver him to Satan? Yeah, what was the purpose of that? Anybody remember? For the destruction of the flesh. Deliver him unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. There's, there's a church discipline that you're supposed to use according to 1 Corinthians. When a person just is saying, I don't wanna do that and I'm not gonna follow God and I'm gonna go my own way. There's a point where you, we see God doing it here with you know, Gomer. I'm gonna take away all your blessings. You parents have had to do this. Some of you, you know, you're giving your kids a car and paying their insurance and you know, paying for college. But as they sort of went and squandered into sin, you couldn't just sit by and keep sending money and feeding that. And it's, it's one of those painful, hard decisions a parent has to make, but there's a point where you can't just enable them 
to keep doing their sinful thing. That's what God's doing here with Gomer. And, and what, what sometimes, even in the early church, they had to deliver someone to Satan. So hopefully their flesh would be destroyed and they'd come back to the Lord and walk with the Lord. Um, we've had to do that with some people who've just been stubborn in their sin and just playing games and saying, you know, oh yeah, 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 I'll be a good Christian, but really not doing what they need to do. There's a point where you have to say, yeah, we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're getting you out there and you're no longer welcome here. And the goal is hopefully that they'll repent and come back and realize, man, I remember the good old days when I came to Athey Creek and was worshiping the Lord and, and had friends at church and, and had accountabilities and stuff. And that's the hope is they'll re remember what it's like to walk with the Lord and do the right things. But be that as it may, that's what's happening here with Gomer. This, um, he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, now there's a, uh, there's a play on words. There's many that, that's in this book, but I'm gonna show you a funny one here in verse 11 where it says, I will also cause all her mirth, that's joy and gladness, to cease her, her feast days and her new moons and her Sabbaths and all her solemn, solemn feasts. This is an example, and if you read it in Hebrew, it's got a rhyme to it. Um, um, on Sunday, I'm gonna talk to you about a Homer with Gomer. Um, and you say, that's a play on words. Yeah, that's exactly what, that's exactly what this book does. Uh, except in the Hebrew. By the way, Homer and Gomer are both Hebrew words and they're gonna, that's actually gonna be used as a sort of thing. We're gonna do that Sunday, talk about it. But here, the interesting word there is talking about the Sabbaths, but anybody know what the Hebrew word for um, cease is? The word is Sabbath. It's actually more Shabbath. <laughs> but it's like he's saying, you're gonna lose your, uh, you're gonna lose your Shabbath and your Shabbath. It's, it's like a play on words. And this is the kind of stuff uh, this book does. I will cause also her mirth to Shabbath or cease um, and her feast days and her new moons and her Sabbaths and her solemn feasts. That's the kind of stuff he does with the Hebrew language that we sort of miss here. So the second therefore is basically the Lord pulling all the blessing away, realizing that her lovers aren't delivering and that things aren't as good apart from God. Um, and that brings us to the third, therefore, verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her, and I will give her vineyards and from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope, and she shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. We looked at these two verses on Sunday. This is the, the, the third therefore is the, is the really cool therefore in this particular uh, uh, story. I love the three therefores, but this last one is I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless you. Once you get out of your dis despair and your pig pen like the prodigal, when you come back, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna allure you, try to woo you back um, away from your sinful life and I'm gonna give you real vineyards and I'm gonna give you the door of hope. This is what God does with us. And we looked at that this past weekend. In verse 16, and it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi, and thou shalt, and shalt call me no more Baali. Now, what's this all about? Um, you know, the, 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 the word Baal means my Lord and my master, which is really a pagan word for the worshiping of Baal. And he's saying, instead of worshiping Baal and calling Baal your Lord and master, What's the word Ishi? Your margin probably reads. Does anybody know what Ishi stands for? Husband. You shall call me your husband. This is what Israel will do. This is what, you know, Gomer's gonna do. She's gonna come back and call Hosea her husband once again, even though she refused to call him that earlier. Um, this is the relationship 
um, that we see here with, with uh, Baal. Uh, you know, she's gonna leave Baal and go to, back to her husband. Verse 17, for I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day, now this, this should be a signal. When we start saying these words like in that day, remember the latter days, we'll see that too. That's coming up, I think in chapter three. Um, but in that day, will I make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven and with creeping things of the ground. What does the creeping things of the ground and the beasts of the fields have to do with that day? Now, those of you that are good with this, the signaling that the Lord's giving us here by saying in that day, does anybody wanna take a guess what, what day we're talking about? the day of the Lord, the Lord's day, when the Lord comes and sets everything right. Now we're fast forwarding into the millennial kingdom and I'll show you what I mean here as we get further. But one of the things that's gonna happen is the Lord says, in that day, I will make a covenant with them of the beast of the field and the fowls of heaven. Does anybody remember, what does the Bible say about wild animals in the uh, millennial kingdom? Yeah, the lion will lie down with the lamb. Now that happens today too, only the lamb is inside the lion. If you've seen, you know, the various uh, nature shows and stuff, but there's coming a day where all of nature will be reconciled. Some of you, if you've seen, you know, some of these horrific uh, instances where, you know, these, uh, you know, hyenas will come and you know, like eat up the, the, the little calf of a, of a, some kind of a, you know, African beast and like, it's like really scary, horrible, gross stuff. Some people love watching this kind of stuff, uh, but it's, it's, it's kind of a sad thing, but it's nature in its fallen grotesque state. But when the kingdom comes, the Lord's gonna make all those things right again. And the, and the, the, the little child will play with the, you know, the, the, the deadly snake. Uh, it's gonna be different. That's what's being talked about here. In that day, I'll make a covenant with them of the beasts of the field, with the fowls of heaven, with the creeping things of the ground, that's the snakes. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth. And I will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Wow. Now he's saying, Israel, even though you've prostituted yourself, I'm gonna take you in again. I'm gonna betroth you unto myself forever. Yea, I will betroth thee to be in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness and thou shalt know the Lord. Do you see why these people that say God will never go back to the Jews and save the Jews, this anti-Semitic really kind of theology of, of replacement theology, it just so much doesn't match up with scripture. Um, the reason I say that is because a lot of these people that believe in replacement theology, they don't teach through the Bible. And so they don't read stories like Hosea and they think it's just a story about a guy and a prostitute and whatever. No, this is God saying, I, I'm gonna take Gomer back and Hosea, you're gonna take Gomer back just like I'm gonna take Israel back. And now he's talking millennial kingdom. I'm gonna take you back for how long? Forever. The everlasting covenant God made with the Jews and he doesn't go back on his promise here. So I will betroth thee even in faithfulness, verse 20, and thou shalt know the Lord. And verse 21, it shall come to pass in that day, I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens and they shall hear the earth and the earth shall hear the corn and the vine and the oil and they shall hear Jezreel. Now, verse 23, we're gonna see all three kids um, only we're talking about with the three kids, remember Jezreel meant what? To scatter. Um, and then Lo-Ami or Lo-Ruhama, what did Lo-Ruhama mean? No mercy and Lo-Ami? 
right, not my people. Check out verse 23, I love this. This is the Lord just packaging it up with a nice bow on top. It says in verse 23, and I will sow, mark that word, sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy, and I will say to them which are not my people, thou art my people, and they shall say, thou art my God. Don't you love this? These names of the kids, uh, the Lord just totally says, I'm gonna swap all that out. I'm gonna swap it out. Well, Brett, I saw, you know, I see Lo Ruama and I see Lo Ami, you know, cause it says right there, I will say to them, which are not my people, they're my people. Um, that's Ami. And I, I see, uh, uh, you know, this, this, this Ruhama there where it says, I will have mercy upon her. But where is Jezreel in verse 23? Actually, it's the word so. Because the word scatter can mean to scatter like scattering the Jews all over the world, but it also can mean to scatter seed like a sower of seed. I love the redemptive way that God works that he's gonna take and scatter Israel, which he did, but he's gonna plant Israel and he's gonna sow, sow Israel and they're gonna bring forth good fruit. And that's what we're watching. That's what we're witnessing right now. I love the way this whole narrative kind of shakes out. And you just see the Lord and his love and his mercy there in verse 23. I think verse 23 is one of the more beautiful expressions uh, if, in the Bible, yeah? But you kind of have to know the chapter one and chapter two to really appreciate verse 23, uh, especially the kids' names. And we're gonna see that and more as we continue our study through uh, the book of Hosea. Uh, let's pray together. Lord, how thankful uh, we are for your mercy and your goodness. Lord, we, we can relate to this story of the Jews and Hosea and Gomer because Lord, we too have gone our own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way, but you've laid upon him the iniquity of us all. You were wounded for our transgressions, Lord, and you took our, our sin and you dealt perfectly with it. And Lord, I'm thankful that you no longer call us Lo-Ami. You don't call us Lo-Ruhama, um, but you, you, you call us your people and we're called your children. That's by your grace, Lord, we're so thankful for that. And we do have mercy and your mercy, Lord, endures forever. Oh, as we study the book of Hosea, may we just really just bask in your mercy and your grace. Lord, just come to even a greater appreciation of the beautiful work you've done, not only for the Jews and what you're going to do, but for your church, which you've done, saving us by your grace through faith. How thankful we are. So now, Lord, take this seed of your word and may it be planted in fertile soil and bring forth good fruit. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen.